0: G'day, g'day, guys. Now, before we dive into today's show, I wanna ask you a few quick questions. Are you looking to take your investing career to the next level? Are you wanting an accountability partner who will push you to achieve your goals? Are you needing to surround yourself with successful investors and entrepreneurs in order to up your game and take control of your life? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, I am super pumped and excited to announce that I'm starting the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. This mastermind is a group of highly motivated, abundance oriented hand-selected hustlers and entrepreneurs who are ready to take that next step in their investing career. We are now taking applications for the next group of champions. If you're interested to find out more, then email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com and put in the subject line, The Syndicator Incubator being a part of this mastermind group you will have unlimited access to both myself and my business partner andrew campbell and you will understand how we have been able to build a portfolio of over 1200 units worth over 120 million dollars in under 24 months and we've achieved financial freedom in the process there are once a month mastermind calls with the group and a yearly conference where you will learn from the best in the business so what are you waiting for there are only limited spots, so get your application pack by emailing me at info at com. And remember, be bold, be brave, and
1: go give life a crack. I hate the term serial entrepreneur because it's, sure. like, um, it's like if someone does several successful surgeries, they're just a surgeon. Not a serial surgeon. <laughs> if you're not a serial surgeon. I'd be really worried going to a serial surgeon or I'd be really worried going to someone who's not a serial surgeon. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market.
0: Today, in the show, I have the pleasure of welcoming one of my top five most inspirational blokes in my entrepreneurial crew within the past five years. Dan Priestley is the best selling author of Key Person of Influence, Entrepreneur Revolution, Oversubscribed, and 24 Assets. He is the founder of one of the world's largest business accelerator programs called. Dent Global. And he and his team work with founders and entrepreneurs who want to grow and scale their business while standing out as key person of influence within their space. Dent has offices in the UK, USA, Singapore and Australia, and Daniel uses his platform to raise money for campaigns for charity each and every year about 100k, which is really awesome, and he's connected to some of the world's most known celebrated celebrities, entrepreneurs and leaders. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Dan. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Thank you so much for having me on the show, Reid. Mate, my pleasure. I was uh, just saying in the green room before we pressed record here that uh, you uh, through the grapevine. I hear that you grew up on the Sunshine Coast, where I'm from as well. Yeah,
1: I went to Door High School. I grew up on long, endless beaches, as you would know. A lot of people in London find that very fascinating. That I would move from the beach uh, to London. It's kind of like doing retirement in reverse. Um, <laughs> But it's funny, we, we want what we don't have. We uh, grow up with beaches and we move to big cities. And then we, uh, if we're born in big cities, we want to go and move to the beach.
0: Yes. No, it's, it's uh, a lot of people, always want to say, oh, I grew up in Noosa, on the, uh, Sunshine Beach State High School. That's where I went to school. Everyone's like, oh, go I lived on Sunshine
1: Beach for a, one of my first houses when I moved out of home with, yeah. my, with the first girlfriend I ever lived with was in Sunshine Beach. Yeah, awesome. Great place. Awesome. Every time I say
0: that, people say your school's called Sunshine Beach State High School. What are you, you what some weird of, Australian? Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> did you ever know the Noosa Reef Hotel? Of course, mate. Yeah, the, so the I Hotel. ran I ran nightclub parties at the Noosa Reef Hotel. Ah. That was one of my first entrepreneurial ventures.
0: Awesome. Well, go on. Let's get into the story. Like, wh- h- how did Dan Priestley get started? Because I know that you know. Just for a little context in the introduction, I, I said for my listeners. You, your books and your your journey and, and your story and, and what you guys have been putting out there at Dent I've been a huge fanboy of and uh, I've had some of the other boys on the show um, Mike Reed and Glenn Carlson and sort of you're the trifecta, right you're the you're the big daddy so um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about
1: how you got started and, and on the sunrise. I, um, My very first entrepreneurial memory is um, a house fire when I was age 10. And um, it wasn't, no one got hurt or injured, but we damaged a lot of stuff. There was uh, a fire in the kitchen, some oil ignited and set fire to the curtains and all this sort of stuff. And I had this brainwave of uh, cleaning it all up and selling it in a garage sale. And, um, and I basically laid it all out for sale the night before and I promoted it as an event and I put post down in the uh, milk bar and all of those sorts of things. And the night before, I discovered that I didn't have enough stuff, that it just didn't look like enough for a garage sale. So I went around to all the neighbours, did 50-50 joint venture with them. And the, uh, we ended up selling a lot of stuff uh, for myself and for the neighbours. And I remember at about age 10, I made $300, which in 1991 uh, was a, you know, enough to get a BMX bike, a Sega Master System. I mean, I was totally the most pimped out 10-year-old uh, as a result of this. and I was hooked from that moment on. I, I loved the idea. I didn't have a word for it. I didn't know it was called entrepreneurship, but I loved what I'd done. I loved this whole buying and selling thing and, and running a business and promoting something. And, and I, I basically started reading business books as a teenager. Um, throughout high school years, I would sell flowers door to door. I got a job at McDonald's because I read a book called e and it said that McDonald's was the gold standard of systems. So I went and did two or three years at McDonald's. Um, and um, by, by my late teens, I started running dance parties. So um, we did a partnership with McDonald's, with the local council and with the local nightclubs to run under 18 nightclub parties uh, for, for for kids age 15 to, to 18. Um, they were very successful. We ran them in Brisbane and the Sunshine Coast. Um, and it was pretty wild because um, at the time I was, I was a Pizza Hut delivery driver on 325 at delivery. Um, and then, we would have a thousand kids come to the party at ten dollars a head, with all with all the expenses covered by sponsors. Suddenly, I'd have twelve thousand dollars worth of cash, uh, which which was hilarious, right? So, um, was that I mean, were they the was that the blue light disco? It was very similar to a blue light disco. Oh, okay, a blue okay. light disco um, was was normally that little bit younger. Um, mm-hmm. And this was kind of like I really honed in on 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds, kind of older teens um, who typically had a job at McDonald's and all that sort of stuff that were just pre nightclub years. Um, blue lights tended to be sort of like uh, 12 to 15-year-olds. But it was that sa- exact same idea. The other thing too is blue lights were always at basketball stadiums. So they'd have a DJ, they'd have a DJ set up and you'd dance on the basketball court. And um, and mine were actually in nightclubs. We would have genuine, real nightclubs uh, that people could go into, and um, and we we sold the naming rights to the radio station, and um, so the Noosa Heat FM bought the bought the radio station rights. Uh, so it was it was really cool. It was like really exciting to you know make all that cash and um, and to to just have literally fists full of cash um, after a party it was. It was kind of like wow we, you know we did it it was a, such a victory such a victory moment and that's such a such a young age to figure that out right like uh, I've, I've obviously read
0: a lot about you and your you're growing up but um having that foresight to go and say okay well i'm going to go put one and two together because people want or young um, older teens want somewhere to go and maybe a, mm-hmm. a stepping stone into the nightclub world and being an adult and all that sort of responsibilities and yada 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 but not well, necessarily having thing, a platform the crazy to, thing to do at
1: it. That age, I, I, I look at it and I shake my head where I got the idea from. But I sold the naming rights to the radio station, and then as a result of having seven thousand dollars worth of radio advertising for free, I got the nightclub to give us the venue for free because they wanted the radio advertising. <laughs> so I did this kind of weird stand in the middle, shaking hands deal, and. Um, you know, I couldn't believe it. I got McDonald's to give me like five hundred free cheeseburgers, and also promote it to all their staff. Um, wow. It was it was just how, wild. Old, how old are you when you did this? Seventeen, eighteen, eighteen wow. years old. Wow. Yeah, so it was it was kind of um, it was kind of who knows where I was thinking this stuff. I mean, it kind of helps starting with nothing. If you've got nothing, yeah. if you've actually got nothing, you've got to get creative. Mm,
0: mm.
1: And I think also that when you don't know when you're so young that sort of young
0: um, oh god what is it there youthful the, energy yeah the youthful things. energy the puppiness about you the, the toddler brain about you know oh, I don't know someone wants something i'm going to go credit i don't know i don't know anything about failure yet so it was it yeah. was sort of like you know putting one step in front of the other and then figuring it out along the way that's totally. that's awesome totally so great. so tell me how did, how did you get into What's the journey? Did you go to uni? Did you, you know, what did you do in that sort of early uh, I went to, early, went early to high school.
1: You, you would know that Marichidor High School is a little bit of a rough high school. It's 1,600 mm. kids when I went there. Class sizes were 35. Um, kids used to run amok. Uh, you know, we had some, you know, pretty, pretty rough. Uh, most people around the world would find it quite amazing that we had surfing as a subject and, yep. um, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff that was going on. Um, I... I enrolled in university, did a few months and realized that it was too slow, it wasn't for me. I, I wanted to do a business degree and weirdly, in my head, I thought that the people who would teach uh, a business degree would be people who have previously succeeded in business and they've built multi-million dollar businesses themselves and now they're lecturers at university. And what I discovered is that all the lecturers at university hadn't even started a business. They were excited by my nightclub party more than I was. <laughs> um, so. I felt like this was the wrong learning environment. I should be learning from people who've done it, not people who had studied it. And um, uh, I quit uh, university and I had the incredible fortune to basically get um, taken under the wing of a guy who was starting, he was 37, 38 years old. And at the time that seemed really old. Um, Now I know that that's very young, Uh, but um, he basically, he was was an experienced entrepreneur uh, who, was starting a new venture. I was the third employee and um, basically I I started with him at 19 and by age 21, we'd got to 60 employees, uh, seven or eight million worth of revenue. Um, And I had actually had this weird experience of going through the entire startup journey from zero to several million in two years. And because I had loads of time on my hands, I didn't have anything else to do. I did everything. So if he wanted me to pack envelopes and put stamps on envelopes, I did that. If he wanted me to make phone calls and sales, so I would do 60, 70 call attempts a day. I would do sales meetings face-to-face. I'd book advertising. I'd write copy. Um, I'd create workbooks and manuals. Um, I would create checklists. I'd get printing done. I'd work with graphic designers. I'd take him to the airport and pick him up from the airport. Like just anything that needed doing. I was like... The dog's body. I was just out there doing doing whatever needed to be done. Um, so, I personally, my feeling towards the business. He never thought of it this way, but I felt like I was a partner in the business. I felt like I was going to work like it was my business, and um, you know, I just had this huge pride of ownership, even though I didn't have any ownership. And at 21, I approached him, and I had set up a side division of the business that did 600,000 of revenue and 175,000 of profit. I set up that side division of the business. Basically, I took what we were doing in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne, and I set it up in Geelong, Bendigo, and Hobart, and uh, Cairns, and I, took, I did a regional tour, and, um, and did a regional series of launches, and I'd made uh, 600 grand, 175 profit, and I said, could I become a shareholder in the business? Could I get some shares as a part owner of the business? And he said to me, "Listen, if you want shares in the business, go start your own business." And I was like, "I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's all the permission that I need." So, um, so I did. At 22, I started my own company. Um, I copied what I'd learnt. I went from zero to a million in my first years, one to ten million in the four years after that, um, and by age 25, we'd built a ten million dollar company. Um, uh, you know, I think we had something like 20 employees. We were operating heavily in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and Perth. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a really, I mean, 2005, which was that sort of peak year for that business, was just this mental year where we went, you know, to a million a month in sales and, we, you know, we got it up to that point. And uh, we ran 174 events in one year. So on average of, an average of three a week with 300 people per event, um, we got up to spending 200 grand a month in newspaper advertising, Um, so really wild, really, really wild. What what, what was the business? Uh, So not a simple. We were essentially a sales and marketing engine. So if you imagine a marketing agency, um, I basically took a sales team, which Glenn headed up the sales team, and I headed up the marketing. We found a product which, well, originally in the early days of zero to a million and doing a couple of million of revenue, what we did is, uh, I'm trying to explain this quick quickly because it, it was quite complex. But essentially, in the early 2000s, there was online uh, financial market, stock market trading software that became available that you could, for the first time ever, get a stock market data feed. Um, and companies were releasing software that you could uh, do a self-managed stock market portfolio. Um, and this was very game-changing, brand new stuff at the time. And one of the companies that was doing that Uh, also wanted to run a series of workshops and trainings with experienced stock market traders, so people who had been trading multi-billion dollar funds for the bank. So we took on the rights to tour that up and down the country and to run um, this training that went alongside the software. And essentially, um, even today, a lot of great software companies run training programs uh, that help you use the software. So we were very much doing that. We had the rights to, to... do these promotional events. And um, and we, that's how we made our first couple of million. But then what went from there is that we realized that the same sales and marketing approach that we were using to sell training could be used to sell franchises. So I went to the franchise show and I went walking around and picked, uh, picked a franchise that I thought was just an inspiring, amazing, scalable franchise. And they were selling franchises for about $50,000 uh, per franchise. And basically, we took the contract to run the roadshow where we would build them a franchise network down the east coast of Australia. Um, And we essentially ran uh, franchise showcase events um, all up and down the coast. um, And we built a massive franchise network. Now, the clever thing was, is rather than asking for day rates or fee for service or any of that, I asked the franchise, how many franchises did you sell last year? And they said about a million dollars worth of franchises. And I said, okay, how about this? I'll market, I'll pay for all the marketing and do everything and do all the sales. If we sell zero to a million worth of franchises, you pay us no fee. We'll just make a million dollars worth of sales for you and you pay us nothing. On the next, um, on the next million, it's 30%. And then on the, after two million, it's 70%. Wow! Um, so, um, Waterful, it it,
0: waterfall structure one hundred and one. <laughs> yeah,
1: it might have been. It might have actually been fifteen percent on the first million, but we worked it out that it was less than they were spending already. They they weren't. They were doing everything they knew how to. I said, I can free up all your time. It'll cost you less than what you're currently doing. Your best year you've ever done is a million dollars worth of franchise sales. So, if if all we do is that, you'll be happy. Um, You'd be very happy to pay thirty percent if we do two million, and you'll be happy to pay seventy percent if we do anything above two million. And they actually were very happy with that.
0: And, and like having no formal training, how'd you figure all this stuff out? Like negotiating and just coming up with this with this with a system that would pay you, but also be a benefit to someone else. That like because for some kid to come to me as a business owner and say, hey, I, I couldn't free up was all 20, this time
1: at that particular at that particular moment. I was twenty three. Yeah, like I. Don't, I don't,
0: again, it blows my mind that you had created this thing in your head that I'm just going to go do it and then relieve someone, a business owner of such a big bottleneck in their business, which would be the sales and marketing staff and training. And they can go and focus on something else. Like it's, it's mind boggling, right? And I'm
1: sure looking back, you're like, I don't even know how I do that. (laughs) Honestly, I I just pray. I pray for the day a 23 year old comes and approaches me. Um, (laughs) Because I'm like, you know, I, I don't know what, I don't know what, um, I don't know where I got these ideas from. I really genuinely, I mean, I read a lot of business books. I attended business workshops. Um, you know, there was no such thing as podcasts or anything back then like that. So I would listen to the same cassette tapes over and over again in the car, um, CD programs, that sort of stuff. I'd listen to that instead of music. And, you know, maybe maybe it was like a Jay Abraham CD or something like that right. that I got the idea. Um, but basically, I, w- I was just super so, yeah, I was hooked to be in business. And um, yeah, it was just, so basically what happened is that, that we ended up making a million a month in sales. So we we crossed the million dollars in the first couple of months. We got straight into the $2 million. And then once we were on 70, this was the other thing. Once we were on 70% fee, oh my God, did we just, you know, we just hit it as hard as we could after that. Wow.
0: And it's it's so, it's crazy that to think that, you're, and you're selling the software that you could do more than a
1: million a month in a market oh, no, like sorry. The, st- the software the software business that was that was how we went from that's how sorry. we built the first that was that business was a one to two million dollar revenue right, right, um, right, right Now mind you that by the way that is actually a really great opportunity to this day. So if you approached any CRM system or any software system, any new release software that's funded and you said like let's say you're a young entrepreneur listening, and you approach the software company where their core skill is building software, and you said, can we run training programs in these three, four cities, helping people, teaching people to, to, um, you know, to use your software. I mean, they'll, they'll get behind that. They'll put money behind it and send you speakers and trainers. I mean, that is a, it's actually a phenomenal business model, hmm. even to this day, to provide the training alongside online digital um, software. because. Yeah, most most software companies really struggle with live events and training and all that sort of stuff. Most businesses want to use software but don't know how to use it and they want to attend a really fun, interesting, engaging uh, training program. So it's a it's one of those really win-win kind of deals and it's a it's a red hot opportunity for any opportunity, for any entrepreneur if they want to if they basically said we just want to run I mean, I own a software company at the moment. If someone said, "Can we run training programs in my city?" It's like, "Yeah, what do you need? Do you want venue sponsorship? Do you want, you know, what do you
0: want?" That's awesome. Well, anyone listening out there, Dan is putting a challenge out to anyone. who totally. <laughs> wants yeah, totally. Hit me up. <laughs> but mate, I want to now get into the nuts and bolts of 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 what you've developed. Like, so going from Australia, it's it's an awesome, you know, um, runway to talk about what you've developed globally uh, here in the United States, in Singapore, in the UK how did you grow and and i can already hear i already know the answer because i've 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 looked at the i've looked at the answers but taking what you learn in australia and then applying it to a global scale was that's just such a different level of of thinking uh, of business growth and and how did you go about achieving it and, and maybe talk a little bit about your your dent and what it is today and how it's morphed
1: so when i when i arrived in the uk in 2006 i set up a company called triumphant events and triumphant events um was an event marketing company Very similar to what we're doing in Australia. But I I wanted to really focus in on entrepreneurship. I'd become in love with entrepreneurship, passionate about entrepreneurship. I wasn't passionate about the stock market trading software or any of that. I was passionate about the business and the marketing. I wasn't terribly passionate about the franchise. I was passionate about selling it and, and running it and doing it as a business. I wanted to get really pure and just focus on entrepreneurship as a discipline. Um, and I started running events in London with entrepreneurs, really successful entrepreneurs and famous entrepreneurs. Um, and we would pay them an average of £10,000 uh, per appearance. So when someone would show up, they'd do a ten grand keynote and promotion and all of that sort of stuff. But it was about £10,000 per appearance that we would end up paying for these kind of celebrity uh, type uh, entrepreneurs. And we we built that into a four million pound a year business pretty quickly. So within two years we were you know we were cracking over about four million, um, which is pretty good in, in the UK. It puts you in the top one percent of businesses type thing. And um, and we were just a we we're just a, a standing start launch business. Um, anyway, what was interesting is that when the GFC happened on the front page of the London papers, the global financial crisis. It says recession. UK will be in a recession for the next ten years. And it was all over the front pages of the papers and it was basically, you know, the sky has fallen in. And um, at that particular time, we were doing personal development, leadership development, um, entrepreneurship development courses and and seminars and having a great time. But it just dried up overnight. Like, um, so it was hard, you know, originally it was was harder to make a a couple of hundred pound sale than it had been to make a two to five thousand pound sale in the leader. So anyway, the beauty of that is it makes you do a lot of soul searching and you start thinking about, you know, what to do and how to pivot and what am I sitting on that's of value and how do we change? And um, one of the things that was really of interest to people is people wanted to ask me the question I got asked a lot was, um, why do you pay people 10,000 pounds? What's so special about a 10,000 pound speaker? Um, and some people would come to me and say, oh, I've done speaker training and I'm a really good polished speaker. Will you pay me to be a keynote? And I'm like, no, I'm not, not at all. And I would actually send them an email that says, we don't hire speakers, we hire key people of influence. Um, and, uh, and that's where that term came from. So it was just this kind of like, I, I was fascinated by a few trends, Y Combinator for 22-year-olds who could code. Um, I was fascinated by the expert phenomenon, people positioning themselves as experts. Um, I was curious, maybe I should write a book um, because I was thinking about the idea that um, all, all of the people that I was promoting had written a book and that seemed to be a really powerful thing to do. And I was just playing with that idea. And it all started to come together around this concept called key person of influence. End of 2009, I, I run a conference called Expand Your Brand. We get seven, 800 people in a room. And everyone's pumped about this concept called key person of influence right in the recession. And suddenly everyone's buying and everyone goes, yeah, I want that. Hmm. And then we ran a very similar event uh, the following, like three months later, and it happened again. And um, very quickly, we very quickly and very easily made maybe four or 500,000 pounds worth of sales again. And it was like, wow, people are interested in this. And the concept was, Uh, an accelerator program for six months to focus on you being a key person of influence in your industry. Um, And it was just about pitching, publishing products, profile and partnerships. And we're just going to work on one of those things per month for six months um, and uh, and develop you as a key person of influence. People love the idea then. They love it 10 years later. Um, And and basically that was the beginning. It was just a, a, a training program, a course. And then we pivoted into... Uh, an accelerator um, we have a portfolio of companies now we have um, three thousand companies that have been through a key person of influence but we also have hundreds of people who've been through what we call the threshold accelerator and the 24 assets accelerator depending on the stage of people's business um, so it was just one of those things where we were you know we were forced to do some hard thinking about what was a value and then that Produced a really great result. I'm interrupting this episode to remind you guys about the Syndicator
0: Incubator Mastermind Group. If you want to take your investing career to the next level and surround yourself with the best in the business, then apply today. Spots are filling up fast. I'm only taking a handful of people for the next round, so get your application by emailing me at info at readgoosens.com. Remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life. A crack. Now back into the show. Talk to me a little bit about the um, just just in hearing how some of the examples that you've said in your you know your awesome speech, you know about approaching someone and saying, "Hey, I want to do your training." It's a very mano a mano, but yet you built this business in and around digital assets. Your book, twenty four assets, key person of influence, being online, being noticed, being standing out as that yep. KPI in your sphere. It's sort of like an like dichotomy. On one hand, you got your start by just rolling up the sleeves, knuckling down mano a mano stuff to then pivot, as you said, into a brand that now helps other people try and create this ecosystem of yeah. stuff online and all this other great stuff To in order to – create more sales so that's such an interesting shift over call it 20 years where you know what you were early days on the sunny coast to to now and it just i just wanted to quickly point on that because it's such an interesting thing that i've noticed in my own journey mano a mano still works today and 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 is really appreciated in in a world that is so much high, you know Content, 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 and just you know, it's like a fire hose. And so sometimes when you are uh, picking up the phone or you go into someone's office and just shake their hand, people are just like, "Oh, wow! Like, thanks for coming in. Like, it's such, it's great to see you face to face, rather than send them a book or listen to my podcast or download, yeah. you know, you know." So talk to me a little bit about that because I'm sure in yourself you would have struggled as an entrepreneur to. You've probably seen this and laid it out to develop your your business now, but it's just such such an interesting way well, of um, look, up. Our
1: Al- Our little secret of our business is that um, we still do a lot of one-to-one and a lot of calls and a lot of sales meetings and all that sort of stuff. So um, we have a phenomenal digital architecture that most businesses would dream of. Uh, Four best-selling books, hundreds of videos on YouTube, tens of thousands of views per month. Um, And then all of that tends to translate into a few thousand scorecards per month, where people fill in a scorecard, a key person of influence scorecard, based on how they score. We have a team of people who talk to people, like their business analysts, their business, uh, you know, advisors on behalf of Dent, and we actually talk to people and say, "Tell me about your business. Tell me what you want to do. Where do you want to go?" Um, and we have conversations, and those conversations turn into people enrolling onto our accelerator programs if they're a good fit. But um, it, it frustrates me because a lot of, uh, and it's heartbreaking, a lot of people pour a lot of money into digital assets and digital ecosystems, not recognising that even Google picks up the phone and talks to people. So do you know what's crazy? If you look at how Google does its marketing, so Google sends people in the mail physical Letters that say, Here's a $50 token for you to activate an AdWord campaign. And they actually have this little letter with a punch out little card that you perforate out and it says, 50 pounds worth of Google AdWord credit. Here's how to activate it. As soon as you activate that credit, within 24 hours, you get a phone call from someone who says, I see that you've just activated your credit. Can I talk you through how to set up an ad campaign? (laughs) Um, Now, Google are doing direct mail and phone campaigns. Right. That's how they, that's how they're doing their. But they avatar. Google, right? <laughs> that's Google. I mean, these guys, these guys have got unlimited resources to do whatever works, and that's what works for them. Um,
0: so, 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 break down the twenty four assets asset concept to me because I know I've read the book, but you, you've got you know through just to, to, to go again, key person of influence, entrepreneur revolution, um, yeah. oversubscribed, and twenty four assets. What's walk through the high level points of all of
1: that? High level points. Yes. So the entrepreneurial journey is very predictable. Um, and it goes through certain phases and there's three chapters to the story, right? So the entrepreneur journey is chapter one, discover something of value. So figure out what problem needs solving and figure out an elegant way to solve it. And that's called value proposition. Um, it's it's basically discovering something of value. Um, so you discover that someone's got a garden that needs trimming. You might go over and offer to trim the garden for them, you know, 50 pounds, $50, right? So you've discovered something of value. It could be something as simple as that, or it could be that a massive company has an issue around intellectual property, and you're going to help solve that for them. Um, But discover something of value. That's the first chapter. Second chapter is become an influencer for that. So you move from the value base to the influencer base. And the influencer base means people have heard about you, they know you, they like you, they trust you, they recognize you, they've heard your name, they've heard your business name, And they start coming to you and they recognize that you're one of the top percentage of people, the most trusted people in a particular space. And that's where the money really shows up, the profit shows up. So revenue, paying the bills happens at the level of value, but at the level of influence, you make really high income and really high profit because you're an influencer. Um, so what that might look like is having 10,000 followers on Instagram, or it might look like that if you run an event, people will show up to see you speak. Um, or it might look like if you launch a promotional new campaign or a new product, people snap it up or pre-register for it because you're involved in it. Um, people might ring you up and ask you for advice. So you, are you're, you're an actually an, an influencer in the space, but then the third chapter is formalizing an asset. So formalizing an asset is turning it into media or software um, or intellectual property and essentially building an asset that stands alone, that is a value all on its own. So in that component, you've gone from being an influencer to actually having standalone uh, assets. So if we think about um, a Richard Branson, Richard Branson, he discovers something of value, student magazine, he discovers something of value, records, music, music label. He becomes an influencer in that space Then he starts uh, building a a library of signed contracts with artists and he actually builds up this massive uh, library of all the top artists and all the top uh, albums that he owns the rights to those albums and then he sells that catalogue over to Sony because that is an independent asset in its own right. So it was a journey of value influence assets. there's some mistakes that you can make. Number one is staying in the value. So all you're doing is just something of value and you become commoditized. You become, you compete on price, you compete on how many hours you can work. Um, and it's a, it's a horrible game because you're not, you're refusing to move to the next stage of influencer. Um, another mistake you could make is trying to develop assets too soon. You've only just discovered value. You don't have profit or high income yet and you're trying to create an asset portfolio. Um, and that doesn't work. It's like trying to jump straight into fourth gear in the car and you stall the engine. Um, uh, another one is that you become an influencer and you refuse to create assets off the back of that. And you get burnt out because everyone wants you and you become cynical and jaded and pissed off because you've got so many people coming at you, asking you questions, asking you for help. Right. And and you're just sitting there going, listen, would everyone just piss off? Um, and so the, the 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 truly successful entrepreneurs they transition smoothly through the phases, discovering something of value, becoming an influencer, formalizing an asset. Um, so that's the high level idea. No, that's uh, and and I and I love it all because
0: this is such a. You explain it in such a way, and you guys have done a great job of of. of, of boxing it up into a, a very sizable chunks for all of us to consume and i think it's really important to when i first picked up key person of influence i was doing a bunch of you know the podcast and branding and all that sort of stuff but it's sort of a little bit scatter shooting you know but it was yeah. just that one book that uh, and i'm going to give it a, a shameless plug because i'm not i'm not getting anything out of it but for all the listeners it's it's just such a great way of 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 systemizing or putting it in a in a a b c d e or a formula that Oh, this makes sense. Of course, I yeah. need to go from point A to point B to point C. And these are the journeys. And and it's fascinating that you, over your career, have cre- now created a whole dent, which is what Dent Global does now. It yeah. helps people through that journey, right? That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's it takes cool. them through step by step. Yep, yep. And so, with, with all that being said, how, how do you see the evolution of, of dent growing even further? Like, you've come from such a, you know, from nightclubs all the way through to Dent Global. It, you you are truly a serial entrepreneur in the sense, so where, where's the future hold for for Dent and, and how it's morphing into bigger and better stuff?
1: Yeah, so uh, Dent, we're, we're launching our Canadian office this year. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, Dent has slowed down a little bit in the last uh, couple of years. I've got three children under five, um, so the vision has always been to be in 20 cities and to serve entrepreneurs all over the world, um, you know, to to be in you know, India and New Zealand and, you know, throughout the US and all of those sorts of things and to build a build a great model where influencers in each city can pick up the dent frameworks and start teaching in and, and running groups in 20 cities around the world. Um, so that's where we'll end up and we'll, we will join up a, a global network of, of 20 cities of, of our entrepreneur hubs. Um, over the last five years, I've been having babies. Uh, so I've got a Little boy turning five, and I've got a little boy turning two, and I've got a little girl t- who's nine months old. Um, so I kind of went into a mode of uh, if it's more than twenty minutes from my house, I'm not doing it. Um, and um, you know, I, I'm such a I'm such a London snob now that I basically I just kick around West London, and and you know, when someone says, I'll oh, come over to East London," it's like, "Oh, I'm not doing that." Uh, I, I used to live on planes. Um, But, uh, you know, so the IP that we're building behind the scenes, IP, software, media is actually bubbling up to the point where we will actually at one point, I'm just going to switch it all on and we're going to open up, you know, uh, another 10, 12 cities. Um, We'll find city leaders in each of those places and and really get behind them and invest in them to to grow that way. Um, But, I mean, I can't help myself. I've, you know, I've taken stakes in a number of companies and built a portfolio of great companies. Um, we're helping police officers in the UK to transition over to entrepreneurs. Um, in the UK, police officers haven't had a pay rise in 10 years. So we've, uh, I've invested in a company that, um, that uh, shifts them over from police officer to entrepreneur. Um, and the design of that company is to put competitive pressure on the government to give them a pay rise, to actually create stories of police officers who are leaving the force to start their own business, but with the actual intention of putting pressure on the government to, to say, well, we, we, we need to pay police officers more money. Um, uh, so we need to make the working conditions better. So creating fun, fun and interesting companies along those lines. I'm always looking for businesses that have a positive impact in the world and that kind of create, create a better society and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I've also been building a software business. So we're building a software business that kind of turns one of our primary marketing strategies into a piece of SaaS software so other people can market the way we market. Um, In the last couple of years, we generated 50,000 leads pretty cheaply and then made 10 million pounds worth of sales off the back of them. Um, And that was all pretty pretty automated. Um, So we've actually just turned that into a piece of software and we're gonna launch that um, soon. We've got our first 100 clients uh, signed on and and loving it. Um, So we're gonna take that up to 1,000 clients and then 10,000 clients. Uh, So anyway, long story short, I'm writing another book, I'm wow. doing software, I'm doing portfolio. <laughs> well, I, like- I don't think the term is serial entrepreneur, I think it's psycho entrepreneur.
0: <laughs> well, but there was, I interviewed someone the other day, I was like, no one actually wants to be a serial entrepreneur, they just keep evolving, right, into do things, yeah. and it's new shiny objects that keep popping up. See,
1: I don't even think of, the, I personally, I'll be really honest, I hate the term serial entrepreneur because it's sure. like um, it's like if someone does several successful surgeries, they're just a surgeon, Right. <laughs> They're not Not a serial surgeon. (laughs) They're not a serial surgeon. I'd be really worried going to a serial surgeon, or I'd be really worried going to someone who's not a serial surgeon. Right, 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 right. right. So,
0: one last question I have for you, I I completely agree. One last question I have for you is is the. I think I already know the answer, but with the foundation of going from A to B, you know, from creating discovery into thought leadership into creating assets in and around it. I feel like that fundamentally will never change as we evolve as an, as as people, as the world, as technology gets faster, as globalization like ramps up, we're heading into space. So yep. have, have you
1: future-proofed your business with those fundamentals uh, in and around Dent? The fundamental concept is, um, is very sound. So if you look at even just key person of influence, key person of influence is – I mean, I build everything – Thinking in, in like fifty to hundred year cycles. I, I love, I love trying to create stuff that I feel would stand the t- test of time. Um, I love the, I love brands like Nike that have you know been cool and relevant for fifty years. Um, I love brands like Fender. Um, you know, um, I, I love businesses that don't change much over time. So like Lego, amazing. People love Lego, you know, and they've loved it for a hundred years. Rolex watches almost look identical to how they looked, you know, 50, 60 years ago. So I'm a really, the, the brands that I most fall in love with and study and learn and um, model upon are brands that don't change very much over time. Um, I modeled, I actually modeled the Key Person of Influence program initially on Le Mis, Les Miserables. Uh, so I saw that Le Mis was running in Sydney. I saw it was running in London. I saw it was running in New York. And it was the different cast and crew with really um, particular songs and a particular marketing approach that would work in any number of cities. And provided you had a really great cast and crew, you could run it anywhere in the world. And I thought, ah, that's what I want to do. I want to model key person of influence on Les Mis. I want to be able to have a Les Mis show that just installs itself in a, a city and we just run it over and over and over and the marketing doesn't change much and the cast and crew don't you know they they can change but it's always of a high quality so that's how i that was my icon for when i created the key person of influence program um i'm a big believer that you should copy but never from within your own industry so go out and copy car companies go and copy surf brands go and copy motorcycle businesses but if you're in business development just leave you know just don't copy stuff that's within the industry it's disgusting Um, so if you're a car company don't copy car companies right go and learn from from someone who inspires you outside of your industry so I'm a big believer in that Um, so yeah so that's that was that so future proof wise key person of influence is pitching always going to be important yes publishing content yes creating products raising profile doing partnerships so I've picked five things that will never change and haven't changed in 500 years Um, uh, when it comes to the 24 assets, intellectual property, brand, market positioning, products, systems, culture, and funding. So they all fit within that framework. These things are going to be around for another 100 years. Um, We just need to be on the cutting edge of having world-class trainers, great methodologies, um, telling really good stories that people can relate to, staying relevant in the mind of entrepreneurs. So we've got a plan for how how to always do that. Awesome, mate. And it's truly it's really
0: inspiring. And I'm just beaming with a big smile on my face if you can't see the video that uh, this was a pretty incredible interview. But mate, to, to wrap up the show, are you ready to dive in the top five investing tips? Done. Let's go. Let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Sales. Sales. What do you do specifically in the daily um, habit? So-
1: Every uh, every week I do a sales boardroom of eight people and I personally sit down with eight prospects, people who I think would be good potential clients and I personally have one-to-one, oh not one-to-one, one-to-eight sales meetings and it's the one thing that keeps me extremely tapped into uh, the problems that people are facing, the frustrations, the language, the the things that are on people's radar. But for me, even though I'm now the CEO of a company, and we could easily hire lots more salespeople and get me out of it. The one thing that I do to stay completely tapped in is uh, I do a sales meeting once a week. That's awesome. Mate, Well, who was the most influential person in your career to date? Uh, probably that mentor that I mentioned from 19 to 21. had a huge influence. And then I, I got mentored by a guy who'd built three multi-billion pound businesses around the age of 30. And that really transformed things as well.
0: Awesome, and the importance of having a mentor very, very important in anyone's development as an Massive. entrepreneur. Uh, mate, you have developed so many incredible tools. So this this question's a little bit uh, not from left field, but what's the most influential tool, whether it be software or hardware related, in your business today?
1: Um, so, uh, I mean, at the moment, Slack is a really great tool for coordinating our entire team. Um, you know, we have fifty people across nine time zones, so. Um Slack is a really useful piece of software. Um and um and yeah, we've been um you know, we've been really reading up on Ray Dalio's principles and his yep. you know, his, his tools for running meetings and radical transparency and all that sort of stuff. Um but yeah, as far as software goes, uh Slack's been a pretty pretty game changing piece of kit for us to run a a twenty four seventeen. I could imagine,
0: yeah, I use it in my business as well. It's extremely Takes you away from emails and trying to have to dig through emails like, where the hell is that one file you sent me? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's all on one channel. Mate, what has been, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career to date? And What'd you learn from that failure?
1: Uh, biggest failure was probably when money cost a friendship. So it was essentially uh, having a falling out that related to a financial matter and losing perspective and, uh, and losing a relationship or lo- losing a friendship over that. Mm. Um, and the lesson, the lesson is, is where possible, uh, money's made up and fake, and and it's just an idea, a way of keeping score. But ultimately, you know, it's our relationships that matter the most.
0: Oh, love it! Absolutely love it. I think that's it. really deep, but uh, sounds like you've gone through some pain with that one. But we should, talk, I'm sure we can talk about it in another episode, mate. Last question: Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. They want to pick up a book. Where do they go? They
1: have to come to West London, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> Get on a plane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, my all my ideas are in the books. So there's four books on Amazon. Um, so you can just search for Daniel Priestley on Amazon. Um, and Instagram and Twitter, I'm a little too active. I shouldn't probably spend so much time on Instagram and Twitter, but Daniel Priestley, you can message me. I'm happy to respond and connect. Um, and, uh, and also, if you want to do the Key person of Influence Scorecard, It's a cool tool, Um, it's 40 questions and it kind of teaches you, uh, gives you specific advice on how to improve your influence. Awesome, mate. Well, look,
0: I wanna thank you so much for coming on the show today. Some of the big takeaway tips that I took away from this conversation was really your ability to evolve uh, and and niche and pivot, such a cool word to to say, but it really was figuring it out as you went along, rolling up the sleeves. And from that early ages, when you're 17, 18, Creating a platform for kids that want to come and just be in, you know, young adults to evolving into offering a service to a company that needed to scale in terms of franchises. I think that was bloody brilliant. And then going even globally. Uh, so, you know, going from Noosa, Sunshine Coast to East Coast of Australia to the, to the world is it, really been quite fascinating to work through your journey. And not having a formal training is also another big thing I took away. I think that's just learning fast not being afraid having the toddler brain side of the thing like why can't i just do that and just go out and executing so i uh, think uh really awesome stuff and, and obviously all, all the all the great content you've created in around 24 assets and key person of influence but um but mate did you leave anything out man that that was wonderful that was i think we packed a lot in <laughs> we did pack a lot in we did pack a lot in but uh as again i want to thank you for taking some some time out of your day and enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon
1: what an absolute pleasure
0: Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Dan and his team over at Dent Global. Please make sure you do check out Dan on Instagram and Twitter. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. We're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.